Welcome to the Minor Conversations Podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm Mick Reinhardt, and I offer you a glimpse behind the game day experience in the Eastern League. If you like what you hear, do me a favor and spread the word. On iTunes, you can subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. You can also now find us on Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. Our website is minorconversations.com, and you can catch us on Twitter at M-I-N-O-R-C-O-N-V-S-P-O-D. Now, on to the show. For this episode, I'm joined by Tim Hyman, Director of Broadcasting and Media Relations for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. This season has been like no other Tim has experienced in his broadcasting career, thanks to the presence of another Tim on the Rumble Ponies roster, Tim Tebow. We discuss the media frenzy around him, the so-called Tebow effect on attendances in Binghamton and around the league, and the invaluable support of his number two, Johnny Wincott, this season. So sit back and enjoy episode 12 of the Minor Conversations podcast with my guest, Tim Hyman. So the rest of the world found out about Tim Tebow coming to Binghamton about a week before spring, tra- uh, spring train broke and the season started. What did you know and kind of were you kind of preparing for it all winter with the possibility that, hey, this could happen? So if, if we can go back to September 2016, that's when the Mets signed him. And I'll be honest, before the Mets signed him, I had I'd never pictured oh, you know, Tim Tebow's on the baseball market. He might wind up in Binghamton. That had never crossed my mind, probably just to keep myself at ease, knowing the increased workload that would come with right. having Tim Tebow on your team. Uh, but when the Mets signed him, it, it started to become more of a reality. And then we got closer and closer to spring training in 2017. This is his first season uh, as a pro player. And um, I'll be honest, I was kind of hoping that he would start a level lower just because, look, you, you know how much Terry does leading up to opening day. I, I admitted that, you know, I wasn't really hoping to have him just because I knew it would just be exponentially more work. So he started in Columbia, and then he got promoted mid-June to St. Lucie. So now you're going, okay, there's a chance that he could join us towards the end of this season. Yeah. So really, as 2017 progressed and he was playing, decently well at St. Louis. He certainly wasn't tearing up the Sally League or the Florida State League. I think that's when it, mentally I started getting ready for what would be involved with having him come to Binghamton. So by, by the time the offseason rolled around and he wrapped up his 2017 at St. Lucie, I kind of knew going in that we were likely going to have him to start 2018, which was good because it, it gave me that offseason to just think about, okay, well, we don't have a ballpark that's built to fit a ton of media. How are we going to do that? And that was, to be honest, that's, that was the biggest concern for me. Um, Nystek Stadium was built in 1992. Uh, minor league coverage was virtually non-existent outside of maybe one print guy. So the ballpark just wasn't designed to fit a lot of people. So the engineer in me was going, okay, we have this problem. How do we find the solution? So we went through a couple of iterations so that by the time I had an idea of how to accommodate our media physically, I felt a lot better about having Tim so that when we got the news within two weeks of opening day 2018 that we'd have him, I felt pretty good about how we would go about hosting him. So that's kind of the timeline of Mm -hmm. the mental and almost physical preparations of of getting ready for it. Did you talk to the guys in Columbia or at uh, St. Lucie to see kind of how they handled it and try to use that as as part of your 
your philosophy going forward, too? Yeah, they gave us a pretty good primer. Uh, Kevin Fitzgerald and I have had a relationship that goes back a couple of years. He's Columbia's broadcaster, and uh, he gave us some good tips, and he gave us the heads up. You know, Tim usually does this for his pregame stuff. We held the media uh, here. Uh, but what's different is that, for example, Columbia has uh, a closed clubhouse postgame. In Binghamton, we have an open clubhouse right. so that – you know, 10 minutes after the final out, our TV people, our print people can go in and talk to whoever they like. So that was a different wrinkle where Columbia said, oh, we, we never had that issue. And now in Binghamton, since we've had that open clubhouse in the past, it seemed unfair to just change the policy only because Tim Tebow was with us. So we said, okay, so here's a problem. We've got to figure out a solution. And the solution was pretty easy. In, in, in years past, we just simply had the clubhouse open 10 minutes after and very little supervision, but now it's I'll go down and just make sure everything's okay and prim and proper. So uh, over the course of, you know, the weeks to start the season, when we found these new problems, it just came down to, okay, what's the most logical way to solve this? And we solved it. But certainly uh, it helped to get a little bit more advice from the previous guys of how they did it. Just go through kind of what the media policy is mm -hmm. for Tebow compared to, say, if I wanted to talk to uh, Peter Alonzo or, you know, anybody else here. Just what's the difference? The, the difference is that it's more set in stone, which is very helpful. Look, it's, it's one thing to have major league rehabbers. It's another thing to have a guy like Tim Tebow. You, you know, you're not just getting standard sports reporters covering him. You're getting the news side coming out. You're getting some other, uh, some other outlets that would never step foot in a ballpark. So to the credit of Tim Tebow's camp, they had, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have... Uh, group media session, first day of every homestand, great. And the first day of every road series, great. So basically, if you'd like to talk to Tim, know in advance, come to the first day of the homestand. Or if you're uh, you know, a TV outlet in Harrisburg, come day one and you'll get your chance, which is, which is great. I mean, look, Tim could easily say, no, like, uh, I just, I'm not going to do it. Right. But he's been fantastic with this whole thing. And, and it's made my job much easier because it's not – uh, every day is a different policy. It's this is the policy. This is what you know going into it. And here's how it's going to work, which is very great. Because in other instances, it really is just, you know, pulling guys day by day. And, and for Peter, with what he's done this season, he's had a lot more uh, media requests than I think in the past. So that's been a, a challenge where you're pulling him some days, other days it's pretty quiet. But for Tim, since he knows that every series they're going to want to talk to him, been good to have that one media session take care of it all at once and then he could just focus on getting ready for that night's game in the recent history of the eastern league the two biggest names that come to mind came through here in harrisburg strasburg and harper in terms of this media frenzy do you talk to terry at all in terms of what they did for those guys and kind of same thing because i know harper it was the same thing they'd go on the road and You'd have him for the first day of a series, and that was pretty much it. Yeah, for, without a doubt. Terry was one of the first guys I reached out to because when I thought about guys that pulled the media attention that Tebow would, I thought about Steven Strasburg, and I thought about Bryce Harper. And what I wasn't envious with, with Terry was that those were two guys that had really not had the spotlight before. Of course, they had attention, but, I mean, Tim Tebow's been dealing with the national spotlight for the better part of what? 15 years, yeah. maybe? So, look, Tim is uh, he's polished. He, he knows how to carry himself. And for the Harper and Strasburg, this was all, from, from what I gather, an outsider's perspective, pretty new to them. So uh, 
what Terry had given me the tips is, look, you know, don't give out season credentials immediately. Go day by day so that you know when you open the gates who exactly might be showing up. Because if you got a lot of season passes out there, you don't know who might be showing up. Right. And that was that was the the best piece of you know nuts and bolts media relations advice that Terry gave me. Just go day by day, and and take care of it that way. You've had you know pretty much all the Mets arms, their young arms that they have now, come through Binghamton. Is there anything previously that you can compl- can compare this to in terms of any of the media crush? You know the New York media in terms of their proximity to Binghamton makes also it, it much tougher for you in terms of, uh, t- you know, they're going to want access uh, a lot easier than some other places that are halfway across the country. Yeah, nothing directly compares to it. But what I will say is that this being my eighth year, uh, I'm happy that it occurred now as opposed to occurring maybe in my second or third year because I'll admit I'd probably be a little overwhelmed. But you're right. I mean, we had – my intern year was Matt Harvey in 2011. Mm-hmm. 2012 was Zach Wheeler. 2013 was Noah Syndergaard. 2014, Stephen Matz. Michael Conforto, 2015. So literally, there was a guy who was the focus of the New York Mets media every single year in Binghamton. And for those stretches, before the Mets won the pennant, a lot of the, fo- the focus from the New York beat guys was on the guys coming up. So there was a ton of attention being paid to the then named Binghamton Mets, which was new to me in my first couple of years running the show in the media relations for the B-Mets, and that really prepared me well. So that by the time Tim came around, I knew how to handle things and, and knew how things work so that it was like a, uh, this has been almost like a, an experience eight years in the making where that we were in, we're in good hands knowing that Tim knows how to carry himself and that we know how to handle things with that increased focus from the New York media. Right. So opening day, you guys drew the largest opening day in franchise history. In, in 25 years. In 25 only, years. O- okay. Apparently only 1993 beat it, and it was like 80 degrees that day, apparently. Well, I was going to say, the first pitch Tebow sees, hits out. Obviously, your call was everywhere <laughs> that day and the next day. At some point this winter, did you think, boy, I'm pretty much going to, good or bad, I'm pretty much ticketed for I'm going to be a viral sensation most times with, with this now. This is, I'm being totally honest, that did not cross my mind until he walked from the on-deck circle to the batter's box. It was so, we were so busy for the two weeks to, from to when get it, ready yeah, to, we yeah. were so busy from the two weeks from when it was announced to opening day. And look, that stretch is crazy to begin with. You're dealing with pulling up player biographies and new guys coming in and pulling up all this data and content. And now you're dealing with something you've never dealt with before, and that's always tough. So you had all these things, and then opening day itself is crazy because it was our biggest media crush that I've been there for. I mean, normally we'll have maybe six people credentialed for opening day. We issued 36 credentials for opening day. So you're talking six times the number of people at our ballpark that I've got to oversee so you're running around like crazy, and you're wondering where you're going to put these photographers and dealing with space in the press box. So that by the time we sat down for first pitch, you're already spent. And then in that inning, he's batting. I think Tim Tebow was hitting maybe seventh or eighth in, on opening day. Peter Alonso hits a home run. And then there's a couple of walks with two outs. And then all of a sudden, this inning continues, and here comes Tim Tebow. And it wasn't until that moment that I realized, oh, wait a minute. 
if he does something here, this is going to go places. And then before we even got comfortable, he hit the first pitch out of the ballpark. So it was, it was a pretty wild culmination to a very busy few weeks. There's a lot of talk about the Tebow effect in terms of attendance. You guys in April had some really bad mm. weather. Uh, but May has been much better. You actually had your most recent three-game uh, series was the highest three-game homestand in Boonton, uh modern history. I don't want to say that Tebow necessarily makes all of it because I think that you have to give a lot of credit to the new owner, John Hughes, mm -hmm. and some of the changes that have happened at Nice Edge. But that being said, do you see that effect even happening at home like you are seeing on the road? I think what's happening is that it's magnified what is normally the spot of the season where we do see the uptick in attendance. April is almost always a wash, quite literally, where it'll rain, the weather's going to stink, and for most people, they know that this team's not going anywhere. They've got games scheduled in May, June, and July, and August. When the weather gets nice, we'll go to the ballpark. And you know what? I don't blame them. There are many times <laughs> in the course of an Eastern League season where it is like 35 degrees and it's snowed during batting practice, and you're like, who in their right mind would not only come to this game but pay to sit outside in the cold? So I get it. I, I totally get it. I've, I've never been one to get angry that – People don't come in April. I don't blame them. But now that we're seeing, you looked at what we had Memorial Day weekend. We did uh, nearly 28,000 for a six-game homestand, which was the largest six-game homestand since 1992. We pulled in uh, 17,000 in three straight days, the, longest, the largest three-straight-day crowd in history. So I think what you saw is that people, A, saw the great weather, which is always helpful to attendance, and B, said, okay, now it's time to see Tim Tebow. So I think it's been a combination of things. The Tebow effect certainly is there in that. I don't think it's the be-all and end-all. You're right with the, the combination of the ballpark improvements and, and the better show and, and all those positive things for our organization. But I do think he's, he's had a hand in giving a little boost to the attendance. And then away games, like last night here in Harrisburg, honestly, I was shocked at the amount of people here for Tim Tebow. Yes, you kind of prepare yourself for it, but I was not prepared for that, those kinds of numbers. Are you seeing that pretty yeah, much wait, everywhere? You mean to tell me that 6,000-plus on a Tuesday night isn't normal? Right? And, and people are coming with signs, <laughs> and everyone's wearing Tebow jerseys. And Let me tell you this. I have never seen a ballpark as full as I did last night after a 69-minute rain delay. I mean, you looked around, first pitch at 740, I'd say 90% of the seats were full. I mean, on any normal night, it rains for an hour. This place is, a, at any place, yes. is a ghost town. But, uh, lo and behold, there is the Tebow effect. And uh, we've seen this now for the last two seasons, where if you talk to you know, any team that's hosted uh, Tim Tebow, the uh, home team, that is, they'll say that it's a great thing for your own team, but it's a great thing for the league because he comes around. All their eyes are on him, and, and folks know that this might be their only shot to see him. So that's why you're seeing 6,000 people last night. That's why you're seeing 20,000 combined in, in a three-game series at Hartford in the middle of May, in the middle of the week. So it, it's the Tebow effect for the league is real. How has he been in the community, and how has the community took, taken to him? You know, I know a lot of these guys have to go and do, you know, uh, appearances and whatever, and I have to assume – Everybody wants Tebow from you, and not everybody can get him. But, but how has he been in that uh, working with the community? He's been great. And, and what he's done, it, it's, it's interesting because 
he is uh, as much as he can be quiet with the team about what he does in the community uh, he's not out there parading around look what I did here look what I did there I mean there were instances where a, a picture will pop up online of him at maybe a function for children with special needs or maybe at a local church and I had no idea about it and that's just how it works where he does he does his thing he does his appearances and uh, for example a couple of weeks ago we spoke at a church in Binghamton and drew I think like upwards of a thousand people to this event so uh, he picks his spots but he has certainly you know made his impact felt in not only the Binghamton community but in various other cities in the league yeah I'll get you out on I'll get you out of here on this um, you talk about all this extra work you've had this year you don't do it alone I, I give Johnny a little credit um, <laughs> do you think this experience has helped him grow and, and prepared him for you know the next guy that comes along to do this yeah, we, um, I knew going into this season that it was imperative to have him back with me for a second year. He was with me in 2017. Not only was it a, a great experience on air, but he busted his hump off the air and, and all the, the tedious things that come with this position. Game notes and stat packs and running errands, all that stuff. And he knocked it out of the park. So I knew heading into this season that, A, even if Tim Tebow wasn't here, that I'd love to have him back. And then B, knowing that he was probably going to be here, I knew that, look, I need somebody that, let's say on opening day, I'm gone for eight innings taking care of other Tim Tebow-related media relations efforts that I know that I can run away from the booth and be fine. And that's exactly what I got. And um, it's been, yeah, it's been the, the supplementary stuff that's been helpful. But I think the whole process then, the whole goal of these number two positions in quotes is to get these guys prepared to take the reins as the number one. And I'm hoping that he's learned enough over the course of this year and a half that come next season, he can run the show somewhere. That's the whole goal. It's not just, okay, do the dirty work and get out of here. It's, okay, you're going to have to do some of this work. I know it stinks, but you're going to get four innings a night. You're going to do about 90 games over the season. And come next season when you get interviewed by a GM at some full season team and he asks you, oh, did you do this? And you could say, yes, sir. What was it like running the show with uh, Tim Tebow in town? You could say, oh, we did this, this, and this. So that when he presents himself for number one, he'll be ready. And I know he will be. Great. Well, thanks. I appreciate your time. Mick, always a pleasure, buddy. And that wraps up Episode 12 of the Meyer Conversations Podcast. Thanks to Tim for joining me this week. Until next time, see you at the ballpark. <laughs>